Welcome to the mikvah.org podcast. The mikvah organization has been dedicated to the education and resources for Jewish family life since 1975-5735. You can support our vital work at mikvah.org forward slash donate. Thank you for your support and enjoy today's recording. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I would like to introduce our second teacher as part of the summer learning series, Mrs. Miriam Pekarski. Miriam is a shlacha in Twin Cities, Minnesota, and is both an in-person and virtual teacher. She is very active with the mikvah and is also a mikvah.org certified kala teacher. Today, as class two of her three-part series on the Rebbe's views on gender separation, she will be going more in depth on the importance of separation and its practical application. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, welcome back. So again, I just want to start off by saying that this class is not, is for informational purposes only. We're not discussing halacha lamaisa. Every person, every place, every situation is different. So if one has a question, one should consult their rav or mashpia for their individual situation. Um, source sheets can be found under the link for the podcast or under the video, and um, you can download them and follow along. Okay. So we spoke last time about the need for separation, the need for boundaries, um, and the way the Abisha created the world was that there are boundaries in certain things um, in, in, in different areas. Uh, we spoke about different historical events that happened where there was this hafrada, there was this separation between genders. Today, we're gonna to talk a little bit more about why the need for this separation, why the need for this these boundaries, and some of its practical applications, how it affects our day-to-day -day life. Before we do that, I'd like to talk a little bit about the sanctity of marriage. Marriage in Torah is called Kiddushin. Kiddushin, the word Kiddushin comes from the word Kaddish, which means holy, but it also means separated. Now, when uh, Hassan takes his kala under the chuppah, he says, at uh, when, they, when they get married under the chuppah, he says, mikudeshesli. You are mikudeshes, you are separated holy for me. And the Chachamim, the Gemara asks, um, this is source number one on page 12, the Gemara asks, Umay lishna de Rabbanen, why does the Rabbanen, why do the Chachamim use this lashon of kiddushin to, um, to, to, to say marriage? Why is marriage called kiddushin according to the Torah? And the Gemara explains, the asala akule alma because by marrying her, he prohibits her, she is prohibited from anyone else in the entire world. And she is like hektish. Again, the same word kadash, hektish means sanctified. Um, and there's a concept that if something was put aside for the Abishar, for the Mishka, for the Beit HaMikdash, for the Abishar, that object becomes holy and cannot be used for anything else. And that is called hektish. So too, when a husband and wife get married, she is now hectish. She is now um, completely sanctified for her husband to the exclusion of everybody else. So she is forbidden to anyone else in the entire world, just like something that is consecrated to Hashem is only for the Ebrister and not for anything else. So that, the Gemara explains, that's why um, marriage is called Kiddushin. So we see this idea that once there is this mar the marriage happens, she is separated and is exclusive to her husband. 
in um, source number two, the Tysus explains, again, it goes into a little bit more of an explanation of this idea of Kiddushin. And if you look at the underlying words, what does it mean? Mikudeshesli, which means sanctified for me, miyuchedesli, singled out for me, umizumenesli, prepared for me. This is talking about the word, again, Kiddushin, the marriage. This is what happens that this woman is set aside and separated specifically for the, her husband. And again, like we said, to the exclusion of everyone else. Now we know that marriage is two halves of a neshama. When a, 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 a man and a woman get married, they are two halves of a neshama that make up a, a complete neshama. And this concept of being exclusion, exclusionary and only for one for each other, each spouse only for each other, actually starts before marriage since they are set aside only for their spouse. So if they are involved with someone else, they won't be able to be exclusive to their husband. So the idea is to keep only for their spouse and to keep everyone else out. So this is the idea of marriage. And we'll see in a minute how that gets to the idea of separation and uh, like we said, boundaries. Okay, there is a mitzvah of the Torah that's the mitzvah is um, the next section is light sikravu legalis erva is the pasuk. It says a person is not allowed to come close to reveal nakedness. Now the source aleph under light sikravu is from the sefer hachinuch. Um, the literal translation of erva is nakedness, but in this context it refers to anyone who a man cannot marry. So let's look at the definition or what is included in the mitzvah of light, sikravu, one shall not come close. Okay, so we're going to read the underlying words under Aleph. Not to indulge in any of the relationships. By the way, in the next page, we have the English translation, um, if you want to follow along in English. Who are the forbidden relationships? Those are certain close relatives, um, a man who is already married, I'm sorry, a woman who is already married, and Nida, a woman who is a Nida. So we are not allowed to indulge in, with any of these people, private relatives, a woman who is already married, or a woman who is a Nida. Even without relationships, relations, like hugging, the nishuk, and kissing, so certain intimate um, actions are also forbidden, even if there is no actual relations that happen. Shenema, as it says, the source for the for this prohibition is in the pasuk in Vayikra. It says, "Ish ish al kol erva," that a man cannot come to his relative to come close to reveal the nakedness. Again, like we said. This is referring to these, according to the Sefer HaChinuch, this is referring not only to marriage, but also any other intimate um, actions. Uperashu and HaChachamim explain, Ki'ilu Amar, it's as if it says, shum kreva. You're not allowed to do anything that makes one come close. Shehi ha'adam Because that causes and brings a person to reveal nakedness. So he gives the reason. The reason for this is that not only are one's not allowed to have relations with someone who they're not allowed to marry, but also one is not allowed to do any of these other 
acts that could come to bring someone to, to sin. And at the end, um, he, he, uh, there's a lot in the middle of that, but uh, and he gives a lot of examples. But at the end, the last uh, lot, two lines, it says, Vidine ha mitzvah, part of the laws of the mitzvahs, of a klal hadavar. It is a general thing. adam shum davar ba'ilam. A person should not do anything in the world. they hear her banashim. That will not, that will bring him to think thoughts about women. Obviously, it doesn't mean just thinking and just saying hello, but it means to have um, improper thoughts about other women. Not indeed, and not in speech, and not even to hint, to do anything a hint. Only with his wife. A man is allowed to do that with all these things with his wife, but not with any other woman who is not, who is forbidden with him. So that is the background to the idea of the mitzvah that we have to be so, so careful not to come to do anything that would lead us to sin. So we have the idea of marriage, that we're exclusive to our spouse. Then we have the idea that one is not allowed to do anything that would put him into the situation where he might come close to any of those that he is not allowed to marry, one that he would not be allowed to have relations with. Okay, on the next page, we have the top is the English from what we said before. And then we will go down to source base, which is the Rambam. The Rambam Paskins, and if you look at the underlined words, it says, According to Rambam, this iser of life to provoke this prohibition that one is not allowed to come close, is a it's a iser daraisa. It's a uh, it's a prohibition from the Tyra. And someone who does it with the intent of having pleasure, like him in a tara, he gets malchus from the tara. He is punished. It's, he's over a mitzvah dairaisa, um, a prohibition from the tara. So we see here how serious this is. It's not just a minhag, it's, it's, it's pashat halacha, and it's very, very serious consequences as well if someone does this again with the intention of um, being over this avera. Now, in source Gimel, the Shulchan Aruch gives examples of things that a man is not allowed to do. Um, for, and most, most the, the examples are mostly about flirting. You're not allowed to wink. You're not allowed to do certain things to get the attention of a woman, again, in this way, of that w- improper way. And then at the bottom, we see here, it says, in the underline, on the bottom, it says, V'asr l'shmoya kal erva. One is not allowed to listen to the singing voice of a woman or to see her hair. So again, this is a pasting in Shulchan Aruch. These are all things that come under this category of kreiva, which can lead a person to So again, we're going through here to see certain things, how uh, important it is to be careful and that's leading up to the fact that we need to have this separation again to make offense to make sure that we won't come to do any of these averis, which are very serious averis that it says in which are from Tyra. Okay, um, we're on page 14, and here we're going to see some examples of how far one has to go to prevent this, to make sure that we don't, again, we aren't tested and we don't come to do such. Um, terrible uh, 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 virus. And we're going to go through the Gemara has certain examples and certain ideas and certain stories 
of things that happened to show us how far we have to go. The first thing we're going to look at is on page 14, source Dalit. In the Gemara, it says a very interesting story. There was a story about a man, a person, that he took his eyes, took to a woman. In other words, he was he saw this woman and he wanted very much to be with her. The Ha'ala Tina, and he in his heart he had a tremendous passion. He became lovesick. Actually, he became deathly ill because he was so lovesick for this woman. So the Chachamim came and they asked the doctors, how could we cure this man? What can we do to make sure that he doesn't die? And the Chachamim said, and I'm sorry, the doctor said, the only way he, he will be cured will be as if he has relations with this woman. The Chachamim said, let him die. He should not have relations with her. Okay. So then the doctors came up with another idea. Aruma. Let him let her stand in front of him without any clothes on. Maybe that will uh, ease his desire. And what did the Chachamim say? Yamos Aruma. Let him die, and he should not, she should not stand in front of him without clothes. So the doctor said, okay, let her stand behind the fence. They both behind the fence and she should just talk to him. And like in a secluded area, let them just talk to each other. And what did the Chacham say? Yamos, let him die. The light is And she should not, they should not have a conversation behind the gate. So how far do we go? Even that this person who the only way he could be cured would be to have some sort of close relationship with this woman, let him die. More important that she should, that they should not have this relationship. Now, there's a disagreement. Was this a married woman or was this a non-married woman? If there was, was a married woman, woman, okay, it makes sense. There's, it says in Torah, there are three sins that a person must, he has to be killed and not, desecrate these three Averis. So one of them is adultery. So if she's already married, okay, we can understand. Obviously, he needs to die and not be over that Avera. But what happens if she's not married? So yes, it's still an Avera. person can do that with a woman who's not married, but it's not one of the three cardinal sins one has to keep alive. You know, maybe it's better that she, he should be kept alive and not, not be killed because of this. And if we look on the the third paragraph, um, the underlined words. Rav Acha de Rav Ika Amar. Rav Acha, the son of Rav Ika, says, even if she's not married, she cannot do this. He cannot do this. Why? We cannot have this happen so that the women will not become promiscuous, so that people will take advantage of the women. And say, okay, she's not married, so oh, I'm gonna something's gonna happen. I must do this. Therefore, for the safety and protection, we're gonna see in a minute the Rambam, um, Paskins, the, the halacha, that for the safety and protection of the woman, in order to make sure that this shouldn't happen, they said better that he should die than she he should have relations or any um, close relationship 
with this woman. So we see here how far one has to go, even that a person, even if a person feels like he would die, he would have to do that instead of uh, not um, have relations with this woman. Okay, the next page on page 15, like I said, this is the Rambam passing this halacha and says, even if she is single, Afilo the second line, Afilo even if she was single and was available to be married, still the Chachamim did not allow this. And um, the last line of the source, it says, so the women of B'nai Israel, the daughters of Israel, should not become hefker. They shouldn't become like nothing. So in order, so the Rabbim is strength, uh, stressing and emphasizing that this is for the protection and the honor of the woman so that people shouldn't deal lightly with her. Therefore, we have this halacha that even if a person, a man is in such a situation, he has to, uh, he has to his life has to be given up, he has to die and not um, be over this again, for the protection and the honor of the woman. Okay, so that's one um, example of how far we go to make sure that we don't, we are not over on any of these Averis. The Gemara and source Vav recounts another story. And this is a story of four, this was happened during the time of the Korban, Korban by Simigdash. There were 400 boys and girls that were taken captive and they were taken captive for prostitution. And they were sitting on the boat and they were wondering, are we allowed to give up our lives? Are we allowed to jump into the water to save, to, and obviously they would be killed, uh, they would die. And in order that we should not come to this, to having to have um, these relationships for prostitution. So the, uh, they were discussing this amongst themselves. If they if they jump into the water, will they get Ilam Haba? Will they get the the war, the world to come? So the oldest child amongst them brought up proof from a pasuk in Tehillim that Hashem will bring back from the depths of the sea. So they realized that yes, they could jump into the water and they would still get Ilam Haba. It was okay for them to do that. So it says the second paragraph, the bottom. When the girls heard this, they all jumped in, and they fell into the water. So the women, the girls jumped first, and they all, they passed, they died in the water. They drowned in the water. So the boys took a kalvachimer. They said, if the girls did this, and they took their lives in order that they should not come to have these relations with Amru. And they said, those, the girls, who the way the world is that women have relations with men, how much more so us, said the boys, it's not the usual natural thing for men to have relations with men. So if they were willing to give up their lives for this, how much more so us, where it's something that's not natural. Uh, how much more so? They also jumped into the water. And the Pasuk says about them, another Pasuk can tell him that um, talks about them that they um, were killed, but they did the right thing because this was they were being used for something that was not appropriate. And so they 
chose to give up their lives. Again, we see this uh, extreme examples of how far one has to go. Now, um, we see here also that really no one is immune from this. It happens, this desire or this where it could lead to can happen to everybody, even the greatest tzaddikim. And the Gemara tells us a story. This is where on page 16, source number Zion. Um, this is a story of Rab Amram, who is called the pious, Hasida. He's called the pious. So we see here already that he, was, he wasn't just a regular person. He was a very, very important and special person. He was, tzaddik, uh, he was called Rab Amram, Rab Amram, the pious. And what happened? There were women who were captives, female captives, and they were brought to this city where Amram lived. And they put, it, they put them upstairs in an attic so they should be away from everybody. And there was a ladder in order to get to the attic. So they took away the ladder so that no one would be able to climb and get to the women who were in this attic. And Amram was passing underneath the entrance to the attic. And one of the girls passed by who was very beautiful. And a light, it says, the Gemara says, the light showed from her face. And he had this, this desire. And so he went and he carried a ladder that usually 10 men couldn't carry. So he had this unbelievable strength all of a sudden to be able to carry this ladder. He had this desire to go up to, to the attic for, to see this woman. So he puts the ladder there and he's walking up the ladder. And when he's halfway up the ladder, he took his legs and he put them to the sides of the ladder so that he would prevent himself from going any further. And he started screaming and he said, there's a fire in the house of Amram. And so the Chachamim came running and they said, they realized what happened. They saw him halfway up the ladder with his feet pressed against the sides of the ladder, trying to make sure that he doesn't go up the rest of the ladder. And they understood what happened. And the Chachamim said, you embarrassed us. Such a Chacham, such a person, this is what happened. This is embarrassing. And Amram answered and said, it's better to be embarrassed in this world than to be in Eilam Haba. So we see here that this is an Isayan, this is a test even for the greatest Sadiqim, and everyone has to be careful that we should not come to such a, an, uh, to, to such a situation. And that's why we have to be careful with this separation and these boundaries and the mechisas so that we won't come to Chasusham putting ourselves into a situation where we could be tested. Okay, now we're gonna talk about everyday situations where this could be an issue or where we need to be careful. And again, as I said before, every situation is different and one should ask the Rav Mashpia about their own situation, but this is just in general, so we know what we need to look out for or what we need to be thinking about. Okay, and again, these are situations where one could come to Chas Shalom, coming to the Isser of light, sikrabu. Should not come close. Okay, here we're going to talk about um, touching or shaking hands or, or, or things in, in that nature. The Gemara, we're on page 16, uh, under the Chitzas Yad, the first source, Aleph. The Gemara says something very interesting. Tanu Rabbanon, Arabanim teach us. Someone who counts money to a woman, from his hand to her hand, or from her hand to his hand. In other words, they're exchanging money, and either he's giving it to her or she's giving it to him. 
Bishvil Sheistakelva, the reason he's doing this is in order that he should look at her. Again, looking here doesn't mean just seeing, but it means to like actively, consciously focus on her. Even someone who is on such a level as Moshe Rabbeinu, she kibel Torah me Harsinai, Moshe Rabbeinu who received the Torah from Harsinai, lo yinapeh midina shal Gehenna, will not come clean from the punishment of Gehenna. In other words, it's severe to even give something to somebody else, again, with the intent that he wants to look at her and to gaze at her and focus his attention on her. So that's the, what the Gemara says. And there's actually a Zaihar. If you look on page 17, the top source base, there's a Zaihar that says, Anyone who touches a woman or hands something from one to the other, will not be um, clean from the din of Gehenim. So Zahar takes it even a step further and says there doesn't even have to be this intent of intense looking or gazing or staring or, or focusing. But the, we um, we paskin that we don't, I mean, we don't do this. Actually, we don't, uh, we do accept things from a hand, one hand from one gender to the other gender. There are many people, many chassidim who do not do this. And this is the basis for their uh, for, for them doing that, that they do will not hand something to someone from the opposite gender based on this Zayar. We do know that the Rebbe gave out dollars and gave it straight to the hands of the women. But uh, again, there are some Chassidim who are makbid on this, and this is where they get it from the Zayar. So even though we do hand to the opposite gender, we obviously should not be doing it in a way that we're focusing on the opposite gender, we're looking at them and, and trying to, and focusing on them, that would not be appropriate. Okay, the next um, scenario we're going to talk about is histaklos. Histaklos means looking, but it doesn't mean just looking, um, you know, talk, seeing someone and, and just looking at them. Here we're talking about, an, again, an intense, focused look for, you know, to be able to really look at someone, not just looking, but looking, if you understand, um, gazing, really focusing on it. So the Gemara says something very interesting. And um, whereas page 17, source Aleph, the Gemara says, Amar Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish says, Taiv Mara Enayim Veisha. It is more enjoyable to look at a woman, Yaiser Migufa Shalmaisa, more than the actual act of relations. So we see that looking is very pleasurable. So it's even worse in a way than, not worse, but it, it could be like having relations in such a way. Again, it doesn't mean just seeing somebody. We have to understand what this means. It means with this intense um, look that uh, in, inappropriate, we would say, an inappropriate look. The Rambam in Hilchus Shuva, this is source base, um, lists in Hilchus Shuva five sins he lists five sins that a person is unlikely to do tshuva for. And the reason for that is because these are averis, these are sins that people will treat lightly. And they don't realize that's an avera. So what, these are things that people don't necessarily, might not do tshuva for. And he lists all five of them. We're going to read the third one. It's underlined in source base. Hamistakel ba'arayas, someone who looks, again, gazes, focuses in an appropriate way, 
to a woman who is forbidden to him. He thinks to himself, there's nothing wrong with it. He says, did I have relations with her? Or was I intimate with her? He doesn't know. That seeing in this way, is a very big avera. This causes the sin of Arias, of having relations with someone who is forbidden. So again, the Rama emphasizes how great of an avera it is to even, again, have these uh, intimate looks um, because it could lead to other averas. And it's something that people do not realize. The Rama says it's something that people are lax with. They don't realize how severe it is. Okay, we're looking at source number Gimel in the Gemara. There's a pasuk in Yeshaya that says, which means he closes his eyes from seeing evil. And the Gemara says that this is referring to someone who looks at, again, staring, gazing, focusing on a woman at a time when she is when she's standing and doing the laundry. Now, obviously, we're not talking about someone who's washing laundry in the washing machine, right? That wouldn't have a problem. Here, we're talking about the way they used to do it in times of the Gemara. They would go down to the river and they would lift up their dresses so that their dresses wouldn't get wet and they would stand in the water and wash the laundry. They were not in the most appropriate, uh, they weren't standing very appropriately and they were busy washing the laundry. So, um, the Gemara says here, someone who has this situation, who's going by and needs to go, and there are women there that are doing laundry, um, is someone, who, the appropriate thing is to close their eyes and not look. So the Gemara continues in the Aramaic on the bottom and says, are we talking about if there's another way, if there's not another way? And the Gemara says, actually both. If there's another way, then he should not be going that way at all. If there are women there that are not dressed appropriately, if they're again their dresses are up because they're doing the laundry, um, and the Gemara says that even if there's no other way and he has to go that way, he's on his way and there's women there. What should he do? He shouldn't gaze at the women. He should go do what he has to do, but shouldn't gaze at them while they are doing the laundry. Again, the English to this Gemara is on the next page, the top of page eighteen. So we see uh, this is again the idea of looking. And then the Gemara is another example, and it's talking about a woman who, a woman who bathes with men. And the Gemara says right away, what do you mean? How can we be talking about a woman that bathes with men? We know that that's Asr. So obviously we're not talking about a woman who's actually bathing with men, but the Gemara says, this is referring to a woman who is bathing in a place where men usually come. So even if there's no men there at that moment, the fact that men usually come there, it would not be appropriate for her to bathe in that area. Okay, <clears throat> the Aruch HaShulchan in source Hey on page 18, that it's usher to gaze at a woman doing laundry with her feet exposed. As we see here, the underlined words, it is also for a man to stare at women who are doing laundry because their feet are exposed. If there's another way, he should not go the way of the women who are doing the laundry. 
there's no other way. He should close his eyes from looking at them. Obviously, he has to see where he's going, but he should not be gazing at the women. So again, this is from the Gibara, and the, it's Paskin Lahalacha that a man um, cannot go and stare at women who are doing the laundry. Okay, so we've talked about all the times that a man was not allowed to look at certain things because it might cause him to cause closeness, a certain type of closeness, which would put lead to bigger Avera. But there are actually certain times where a person can, where a man can look at a woman, and actually it's the recommended thing. When is that? Let's look at the Gemara, the source of love. Amar Rav. Rav says, Asa Adam, it is forbidden for a man, that he should marry a woman, until he sees her. So before a man gets married to a woman, he must look at her. He must see her. So we see here that sometimes we do need to look. Not only we need to look, but as the Shokhanar Paskin Lahalacha, a man is allowed to look, gaze, stare at a Pnuya, a woman who is available to be married. Levatka to check out Imyafa Sheifana. If he's pretty in her in his eyes, if she's pretty in his eyes, uh, he should be able to marry her. Bain Shahu Bisula, Bain Ibula, even if she was already married, or it doesn't matter as long as she like if she was divorced or a widow, he is allowed to look at her. And Shokhanak goes on and says something very interesting. Not only is he allowed to look at her, but this is the appropriate thing to do. He must look at her, as it says in the Gemara beforehand, that a person is not allowed to marry a woman without seeing her. So the very fact that the Gemara and the Shokhanak have to tell us that there are circumstances where a man can look at a woman, and not only can, but should and must look at a woman before he marries her, that we understand that it's something that's not usually allowed. It's not something that's usually okay, but because in this circumstance, we need to do it, therefore um, it is done in this circumstance. Okay, <clears throat> moving on. Page 19, top of the page, we're talking about the Kol Isha, the singing voice of a woman. This is another um, area where it could be a problem of Kreva, of having someone of, of intimate, leading to an intimate relation, if this could happen. Okay. The Gemara, source Aleph says, Amar Shmuel. Shmuel says, Kol Isha Erva. The singing voice of a woman is Erva. Erva, we said literally means nakedness, but we, it also broadly means a, something that is not allowed. So man is not allowed to listen to a singing voice of a woman. Obviously, we're not talking about his uh, mother, daughter, wife at certain times, but we're talking about other relations or, or not relations or not people that are not related. A man cannot listen to a singing voice of a woman. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the rabbi has a letter. This is source Bayes. And the Rebbe heard a rumor, someone told the Rebbe, that there is a midhag in some kehilas, in some communities, that at big uh, gatherings, where there's men and women, and especially by a wedding, before the chuppah or afterwards and during the suda, that a woman also sings. This happens in, this, the Rebbe heard that this happens in certain communities. 
she either she says the brachas, the usual brachas, or she or she gives a bracha stam, but it's in a voice of it's a singing voice. And the Rebbe says about this. And this is we're up to the second paragraph. And it's understood the wonderment that is awakened within me about this idea, about this knowledge. Because we know you do it because it is known. The words of our Chachamim. The Chachamim tell us this in many different places. That they negate this in the absolute terms. A woman cannot get up and sing in public. You know that. That's the Chachamim tell us this. And so the Rebbe is very surprised that this happens in certain communities. And let's look at the next underlying paragraph. If we say that the Chachamim negate this in all any other place in a regular situation, how much more so when it's a place that it's public? Well, we're talking about something that is connected to the marriage of a son and daughter of the of, of Israel, a Jew, two Jews. That in this specifically, the Chacham emphasized when you have a man and a woman who are merits, then the Shechina is amongst them. So if they do things properly and things they behave properly, then the Shechina they merit to have the Shechina come to them. Especially since this is the beginning and the foundation of the matter, at the time of the engagement and the betrothal, the engagement, the wedding, that then when they are getting married, we are putting the foundation for their everlasting edifice, their binyan adeyad. And the first bracha that we say at the wedding ceremony is that everything was created for the honor of Hashem. And the rest of the ends of the brachas, the brachas rabbis, the chas of akala, we give lots of brachas to the chas and the kala during the shabbat brachas. Until we come to the um, benching after the meal and we say in the zimun, that the simcha is in his place, referring to Abishter's place, Abishter, the simcha in this place. The place, the home, the dwelling place of Hashem. So for sure, for sure, for sure, in such a situation, we need to have an extra measure of purity and holiness. So, in, the Rebbe is saying in his in this letter that in general it's definitely wrong for a woman to sing in front of men, but how much more so at a time during a wedding when we want the couple to have all the brachas to start off on the right foot, to have the right foundation. We want to make sure that everything is done with an extra measure of tahara and kedusha. So we was saying talking here about singing and especially at a wedding. Okay, <clears throat> the last topic we're going to do today is about greeting the opposite gender. Sheila Shalom Riboy Sifa. Excessive talking and greeting of the opposite gender. And we actually see this, um, I, this first place this is mentioned is actually in, in Chumash. 
it says when the Malachim came to Abram and they came to his tent and they asked him, where is Sarah, your wife? And she and Abraham said, he neighbor Ayel, she's in the tent. And so uh, the Gemara says, Gemara, Rashi quotes this Gemara and says, the reason the Malachim asked where he is, where she is, is in order to point out her tzniyas, to show her modesty, and also um, to endear her to Abraham. Okay, so now the Gemara has a question on this. Um, in the Pasuk, in Tyra, actually, in the Tyra scroll, when it says um, and and the Malachim said to him, a love means to him. The word a love is spelled Aleph Lamid Yudvav. In the Torah, um, the words Ayin um, Yud and Vav, the letters Ayin Yud Vav in the word a love have dots on top of them. So the Gemara asks, why are there these dots on top of the words Ayin Aleph Yud Vav? Okay. So if you look at the underlined the second paragraph, the underlined sentence, Linda Tara Tara is teaching us etiquette. A person should ask from his hosts about his wife. But Shmuel says, But we said before, I guess it's another place in Gemara where Shmuel says that we don't ask for about the wife. It's not appropriate to ask a husband about his wife, about a woman, actually, it says here, that the ancient Shalmisha, we don't ask in general that about the how, what, how a woman is doing. We don't ask one gender for the other gender. So what does it say here? Through the husband, it's different. In other words, it's okay for a man to ask another man how about his wife. It's it would be inappropriate for a man to just ask the wife, how are you doing in certain situations, obviously. But in this way, we're saying that if your person is asking about another person's wife through the husband, that is permissible. Okay. So there are certain, certain circumstances where it would be inappropriate to speak about a woman, to speak to a woman about certain things, obviously. We're not talking about a regular conversation. We're not talking about a regular day-to-day -day conversation. And like I said, if anyone has a specific situation, they should ask their rub or mashpia. Um, we're not talking about casual conversation. We're talking here more about, you know, more things of an intimate nature probably and how one goes about and asking for how the opposite gender is doing. So through their spouse, it would be allowed. And we know there's a Mishnah, Mishnah, this is source base, it says, a person should not have too much conversation with a woman. Obviously, this means, well, it depends on the type of conversation we're talking about. It talks about his wife, how much more so with uh, his wife's friend, his friend's wife. We learn from here, anyone who has too much conversation with a woman, causes evil to himself, and he um, takes away time from learning Tyra, wastes time from Tyra, and the end is learning, is um, he, he will inherit Gehenim. So of course, we have to understand what this means here. We're not going to go into this exactly, but just understand that there is this concept of being careful in how much we talk to the opposite gender and what we say 
our conversations should be appropriate and um, and we need to say what we need to say, that's fine, but it shouldn't be over and above that. Okay. Now there's one place in Chumash where we see this idea of talking too much and leading to something that is not good. And this is um, in Parshas Emmer. We see here that there was a story of the Mikalo. There was a person who got up and cursed Hashem. Now we're told that this person, this man who, who did this, was the son of a woman named Shlemis Bastivri. We're going to read the Pasuk in a minute. And his father was actually an Egyptian. And it says that uh, Shlemis Bastivri had relations with this man. It was not her fault. It happened. He, she thought it was her husband. He came in and she thought it was her husband. And from this union, there was born this boy who grew up to curse Hashem, which is, of course, a terrible, terrible thing. So let's look in Chumash and Rashi and see what it says there. Source Gimel on page 21. And it says that the son of this Jewish woman cursed the Hashem. And he cursed him. And they brought him to Moshe Benu. And his mother's name was Shloimis Basdivri and from the Shevet of Dan. Now we know that Tara is very, very careful not to bring anything negative about a person, right? Maybe the Tara is careful about the, even the animals that are not that are not a kosher. It says Einenu Tahar, they're not pure, it doesn't say Tame. Tara is very, very careful with the wording that he uses. So here it seems like it's a very big disgrace that it tells us her mother, his mother's name. We're going to look at it and we're going to see a sicha. The Rebbe explains um, why we need to know this and how important it is and how great it is, actually. Okay, but let's first look at the Rashi. It says that his mother's name was Shlamis Basdivri. And Rashi says something very interesting. Shivchan Shal This is actually a praise for Yisrael. That the Torah tells us and, and, and publicizes who she was. She was the only one in the entire time of the Midbar, 40 years, that had illicit relations. And of course, again, we said it wasn't her fault, but this was the only one that it happened to was this Shlomis Pacific. So it's a shvach, it's a praise for all of all the Indians. Okay, then uh, Rashi comments on the word Shlomis. The have a Shalom Alecha, Shalom Alecha, Shalom Alechem. She was a chatterbox, and she used to go around saying to everyone, hello, how are you, how are you, how are you? She would ask everyone how they are. She was talking a lot. And then uh, it says her mother's name was Divri. The mother was also a talker. Um, she would talk to men. That's why she was, um, something negative happened to her. So let's look at the Sicha. We're pages 22 to uh, 22 through 25. It's going to be the Sicha. The Rebbe uh, expounds on this Shlomis Basdivri and this idea of this, telling us the negative about what happened. Now, in this Sicha, we're going to see, the Rebbe is going to explain the importance of Sneas in intergender relationships. But we have to understand here that Sneas does not mean the clothes that a woman wears. Here, Sneas is a broader term which means behavior of a person and how we interact with each other. And it also applies to men as well as it applies to women. It's, not, uh, it's both on both ends. 
Sneeze is a general behavior, a way of acting. Okay, so um, the Rebbe explains in the Sicha <clears throat> that the fact that the Torah tells us of the Mikalo, what happened to him, it's not to say anything negative about him, but it's only to tell us the halacha. We need to know the halacha that if someone does such and such a thing, the punishment is such and such. So therefore the Torah tells us about the Mikalo. But what about his mother? Okay, look at um, uh, after the, the parentheses and halfway down the second column, first paragraph. This is the same thing as the genealogy and the behavior of his mother. This is in order to warn us and to be to warn us and be careful about the behavior and the tzniyas of a daughter of Israel, of a Jewish girl. Not to be a chatterbox. Even to ask everyone how they are. And not to be someone who talks a lot. Because from such behavior, it could come that not only will there be a negative thing in her, that it came to the situation where there was born a boy, a man who, a boy who later on became a man and cursed Hashem. So uh, one, this is to teach us, again, the importance of being careful in our conversations. And let's look at the last paragraph here. More than that. The fact that there was as a uh, that came out of this, there was a born a boy that was able to curse. Who davar pella? It's a it's a wondering thing. She didn't do this on purpose, like we said before. It was a mistake. She didn't do it on purpose. It was she was she thought it was her husband. The fact that she asked everyone and was speaking to everyone, it wasn't promiscuous. It wasn't something that was inappropriate. We know that there's a, a it says in Torah that everyone should greet everyone. You should go and say hello to everybody. And you should be um, welcoming and saying hello. It's not a bad thing. So how could this have happened? One should greet everyone favorably. When we call Muffin, and even with all of this, Yatamiza Ben Shakazesh Shakila Rahwalasan on page 23. With all of this, it came out a person that could Hashal curse. This is a special sign. Last here has Haragadela to warn with a great warning. Lakal Ephad the Echad for everyone. Alvar Gaidel has the heroes with Sneas Fully about the warning about the importance of sneers, etc. Again, we're talking about sneers in the general behavior. Ulafiza, and according to this, Yeshmakam Lamar, there's a place to say, Yeseramizu, more than this. The fact that the Torah publicizes us and tells us, it also has a praise for her. So the rabbi takes this and says, no, this isn't something negative that it says her name. But actually, this is something special and a praise for her. Sha'al Yada, through her, through this action, through what happened to her, through this, the Jews were able to learn the greatness 
of the importance of tzniyas, the necessity to be careful. Now let's go down to the bottom of the first column, the last paragraph. The correction, the tikkun for shlomis basdivri, who bizeh gufa is the fact that the Torah um, publicizes and with such a emphasis that from this comes the instruction and the ultimate care, that warning to the girl, to the women of to Jewish women, the importance and the greatness of Sneas also in speech. And this itself, this in itself, the fact that women learn from here how careful we have to be, this with the the merit and the praise of Shlemitz. Amazing. It's amazing how the Rebbe takes something that seems so negative and switches it over and says, no, this is actually something very positive. The positive is that we can learn from this how we need to behave. Okay, let's look at the second column here. But the question is still still a question. How is it possible that the praise of Israel, Yisgala, will be revealed? Like we said, that the fact that it says about this that happened is a praise for the rest of the Eden, that only she was the one. It only happened to her and no one else in, uh, sinned in the entire 40 years. But how could it be that the praise of all Yisgala, they sleep or pierce them, that one person will be embarrassed about something negative that's written in order to have a praise for all of the Yidin. And the next middle of that paragraph, it's, it's very hard to say, that the praise of the Yidin, will be revealed, through the negative, negative portrayal of one of the Yidin. So how could we say this? How could we say that we're going to praise all the Eden by something saying something negative about Shlomis Basdivri. Okay, let's look on page 24, the second paragraph of the first column. The Imkain Sarachliyais, therefore, it has to be. Because through this, through the Torah publicizing this, we are as revealed the praise of the Yidin. It is not considered something negative for her. Rebbe is saying this is not something negative. How much more so? This itself is her praise. Through her, my dear the Torah is letting us know, the praise of all the Eden, that none of them were suspicious of having illicit relationships. Through her, she had this clause that through her, we are told that the praise of all the Eden. Amazing thing. And um, let's go, the last page here, page 25, the top paragraph. Sipur Shivchan Shal Yisrael, the story of telling the praise of Yisrael. This affects the Yisrael, the foundation of Yisrael, that there were no other illicit relationships. This affects the, the foundation of the whole Kal Yisrael. That the whole start and beginning and the choosing and the formation of Bnei Israel as, as a nation was in a way that Gan Naola Chaisikala is a puzzle from Shir that says that the um, 
the women were closed is the literal translation that in other words that nobody um had any illicit relations shall i next to they were not um um they were not the they were not suspected of having uh, illicit relationships. It's not only that it's something negative in order to give us the, the praise. But the praise, the Yisrael of the Yidin, this is her praise. This is also her praise. So the Rebbe is telling us that the whole story is not something negative. It's something positive. Even though there was something... It seems to us like it was negative, but it was a positive reaction or a positive outcome was that we can learn and we can know what to do. And this is a praise for her. This is something special for her. Let's look at the back, the last paragraph. Because no one is totally pushed away. The tikkun, the fixing for the fact that there was something that was the opposite of Svees, and holiness. When this action when this um, story maybe Lysias brings to Tznias and to the ultimate Tznias the knowledge the praise of the Eden that they were not suspected for improper relations as it says about all of them again like this, we have this puzzle from Shirashim so we see here that when we act properly and when we do, uh, we do what we're supposed to do, and we have correct boundaries and correct separations, um, as we had discussed beforehand, and we are careful not to put ourselves into a situation where we can be tested, then not only is it good for us, but we're also correcting the what happened with Shlomit Vastivri, and we are making sure that she and all of B'nai Israel are praiseworthy, and we should all have that ability to be able to be the Shava, the praise of Klal Yisrael, do what's right and bring Mashiach now. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you so much, Miriam. If you would like to sponsor Tuesday's class with Miriam about the Rebbe's views on gender separation in various scenarios, please reach out to podcast at mikvah.org. Thank you for listening and have a great day.